The minute that you get labeled a conspiracy theorist, pretty much everything that you have to say ceases to be taken seriously. The red pill is just about kind of shaking up your perception of the way that things really And on the understanding that what you've been told your entire life is a consciously constructed lie. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. The idea of Project Bluebeam is that NASA, with the help of the United Nations, was attempting to implement a new age religion with the Antichrist at its head and start a new world order via technology simulating the second coming of Christ. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. Hawk Hill Media presents... Conspiracy with PJ and Abby. And that's the thing about conspiracy theories is like it's sometimes they're not going to be true. And it's okay. There's literally nothing wrong with asking the questions and pulling on the threads and doing the research. It is what it is. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conspiracy Pilled, your favorite Mostly Hinge conspiracy podcast. I'm your host, PJ Williams. This is Season 2, Episode 19, and Abby Libby is not with us tonight. She's out having fun in Nashville. We have Shane Jones from Inquiries of Our Realities. How's it going, Shane? Not too bad, man. How about yourself? I am doing good, man. So we were on your podcast, what, like a month, two months ago? I'm totally lost on dates, Uh, but we had a good time. We got talking afterwards about... uh, you know, we were talking about Dogman, we were talking about all kinds of stuff. We got talking about Wendigo, and I thought it would be really great at some point to have you on to talk about, uh, you know, what that is. We don't always cover cryptids and stuff like that, but we love being able to do that. And especially if we can talk to somebody who has a lot more knowledge on cryptids and kind of delves into that subject a lot more. And then you even told me that you have uh, an experience with a possible cryptid encounter. So we're going to be getting into all of that tonight. But dude, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure to be on, man. Thanks for inviting me. And even though it was kind of hit me up last week to come on, dude, yeah. it's absolute <laughs> pleasure. I was looking forward to having a conversation with you guys again because I had so much fun with you guys came on my show. Well, I appreciate you doing it last minute because we've had to change some stuff around. Things have been a little crazy. I've been working essentially three full-time jobs. Uh, Abby's uh, doing a whole bunch of stuff. Some interesting stuff we'll, we'll talk about in the future. And then we've got other guests we've been moving around, shuffling around, and shows we've been kind of changing. But we've got some really... Really cool stuff. So I'm super excited to talk about this. Really quick, would you mind just telling people, you know, a little bit about who you are and uh, about, you know, inquiries of our reality, open minds media, things like that? Yeah, of course. So I am Shane Jones, the one and only. Uh, I uh, ended up starting up my show about eh, probably about a year and a half, going on close to two years ago. Uh, originally started with inquiries of our reality. Kind of felt that that was a very fitting name because I was just being very inquisitive about just weird things going on in our reality. So that show kind of pertained to cryptids, uh, conspiracies, uh, the spiritual, um, spirituality, just anything in general, just open-minded topics to begin with. And uh, I, I kind of just titled it as an open-minded talk show, and I kind of just leave it open for organic conversation. So it's not like a typical interview show. It's more just like a bounce back and forth and exchanging of ideas. Um, and I don't try to push it into like a certain direction. It's just kind of wherever it happens to go, it happens to go. And it's always a really fun flow going into it. But that show kind of set up its own little format of just being like that open-minded talk show. But 
I obviously like to do deep dives, dig into some weird stuff. So from that ended up sprouting Bizarre Encounters, which is specifically Bizarre Encounters, kind of like how the title says, um, where we dive into like UFO stuff, uh, the paranormal, cryptids, all of that. And we'll have people that come on the show that are other researchers. Um, We'll have experiencers come on. Uh, And then we also do our deep dives on that show. So we've been putting together different series, been working on some new things. Uh, Originally with that show, I did have a separate co-host. I had Ghost from My Third Eye. Um, And then eventually we were doing the show for a while and he ended up getting busy with all of his other stuff that he was doing. So he ended up taking a leave from the show. Uh, So with that, it was kind of like a weird void there for a second. And then I ended up doing a show with this guy named Orrin Felix. And uh, he goes by uh, the Framework UFO on Instagram, if anybody's interested in checking him out. And uh, we just had such a great conversation. It was just a really good bounce back and forth. And uh, I made a comment to him after we finished the episode when he came on Inquiry saying that it'd be cool to do some kind of like deep dive or something with you in the future. So I ended up putting out this whole thing, trying to say I was looking for a new co-host on that show. And then uh, I, I had a bunch of people hit me up. And then all of a sudden it popped into my mind about hitting this guy up because I had a really good conversation with him. And so I hit him up. He said he was interested in being the co-host. And it's all history from there that his girlfriend ended up coming on the show. Her name's Jenny. She's our other co-host. So it ended up being like this weird trifecta where it's like, I dig into everything. We all dig into everything, but primarily like I'm the cryptid guy, Orange the UFO guy, and Jenny's the paranormal chick. So it just brought in this new kind of accompanied view on all of this weird phenomenon because a lot of people tackle it from one angle. Like you're a UFO person, you're a cryptid yeah. person, or you're a paranormal person. And we didn't see a lot where people were kind of attacking stuff from all angles. So the fun part about it is that we'll have people come on and talk about their experiences. And because we're coming from three different angles, you know, instead of just coming on a show where it's strictly paranormal, strictly UFO, where you try to relate everything into that box, um, we'll have people come on and we'll kind of attack it from all angles and throw our different theories on it. And we get really, really deep with that stuff. That was another reason I wanted to have Oren on is because he's really deep into theories. And that's partly like what we do with uh, inquiries is that I just get really deep into theories. So I ended up spreading and creating all of this. And then once I had these two shows, um, I felt like I needed to kind of do something to accompany both of them together. Um, so I ended up creating Open Minds Media, which is just kind of like the production company for both of those. And it's just been growing and sprouting since then. Uh, there's new little things that I try to incorporate as like mini shows for both of those. So yeah. uh, it hasn't dropped yet, but I have Inquiries, Thoughts, and Theories, which is like the sideshow of Inquiries. And uh, we do bite-sized bizarreties over on the uh, Bizarre Encounter side. And there's two variations of that. There's uh, bite-sized bizarreties, fireside tales, which is all of our like cryptid stuff, uh, paranormal stuff, and they're called bite-sized bizarreties because we almost do it like um like just like short snippets of like telling stories and sharing our theories on it. And then we ended up making another subsection, and we're working on making some episodes as far as that goes of uh, bite-sized bizarreties, tales from beyond. And the idea with that is that it's going to be all the UFO stuff, uh, weird time slips. All that kind of shit. So we just try to make it so that we are able to accompany all of these different things all into one piece because, you know, there's some stuff that, you know, you're a researcher too. Uh, it just wouldn't be like a full hour episode. So we just kind of opened up our little window of making it so that we had, as I named it, bite-sized bizarreties for people. Um, they just want to listen to quick little stories about different things. Um, done three of those so far. Going to have a lot more coming as far as that goes in the future, but just been riding the podcast wave. It's been going on, like I said, almost two years now and just riding out, seeing where it's going and having fun along the way and discovering and find some weird shit. <laughs> that is awesome. Dude, you sound like you're a really busy person with all that. Like how many, how many episodes and stuff do you put out a week? 
Uh, for Bizarre Encounters, I drop one a week. For Inquiries, I drop two a week. But I record every single night pretty much for Inquiries. I uh, record every Friday for Bizarre Encounters. So I'm like a year and a half in. And let's see, I'm recorded up to episode 140 of Inquiries. And we just ended up recording episode uh, 42 of Bizarre Encounters. And that one hasn't dropped yet. But if anybody's interested in checking that one out, that's going to be a really cool deep dive on the uh, Whitville UFO flap. So that was a pretty cool one that we dug into. Yeah, but, that's a very yeah. interesting uh, UFO encounter. So uh, I love that you said that with your, um, with uh, was it Bizarre Encounters, you said you have three people. Or am I getting yep. that wrong? So, yeah, that's yeah. my two co-hosts. I love that because we were just talking about, um, we did an episode recently about the grays. And one of the things I feel like always happens is you'll hear people that talk about certain certain encounters that would probably fall under the gray category, but they tackle in a very paranormal way. And then you have people that tackle it in a very UFO way. And one of my favorite things that I've noticed is like, you know, you've got UFOs showing up around Bigfoot. You've got ball lightning, paranormal phenomena showing up around Bigfoot. You've got, uh, you know, sleep paralysis stuff with the grays. And it, it just seems like there's such a crossover of paranormal cryptid and UFO stuff that unless you're really able to look at all those different angles, I think it's you're you're just getting like a, a peephole into like what some of these oddities are, and not really like getting the full scope of of what's going on. Say half the problem with that too is that people will have like an encounter and they'll come to somebody with that's like a UFO person talking yeah. about some gray experience, and they'll leave out like the paranormal details to it because they're just trying to make it kind of fit the interest of that person. So exactly, like yeah. it, it's just a new way able to be able to talk to people that have experiences and make them not feel like they need to leave any pieces out because all of it's really important and it definitely all connects and uh more often than not i got a bunch of crazy theories on the shit but i think it all somewhat comes from the same place and even if you're coming at it from like a simulated reality type of aspect um the way that i kind of relate it is if we are in some type of simulated reality um whatever's on the outside of course you want to have a playable character you want to pop in Maybe it just might be different skins, and they just come in, they'll do their little fun, and then they'll just dip out, and that could be where the disappearing footprints come from, uh, why the UFOs will just disappear into certain areas. It's almost like there's just this map that's always playing, and whoever is on the outside of the simulation just picks a character, hops in, has some fun, and then dips out. Like, why not? <laughs> there, there definitely does seem to be some type of interdimensionality with all of these things, with cryptids, with, like you said, with UFOs, with paranormal stuff. Um, yeah, I, I do think that it was crazy because we put out, uh, we do TikTok stuff and short and stuff for like Instagram and things like that. And we, we did a full episode, obviously, on the grays that was almost, I don't know, it was like two, two and a half hours long recently. Uh, just because some people were saying, you know, it was this is debate like, is it is it demonic? Is it this? Is it that? And I just wanted to cover it from all aspects and show that. And I, and I think a lot of people were coming to us in our comments and saying, I had no idea that there was all of this paranormal activity stuff around Greys. I didn't, you know, maybe they hadn't read John Keel's work or they hadn't, you know, read uh, Jacques Vallée or any of these people who have been talking about this for decades of like, it seems to be the rule, not the exception that with, with especially with UFOs and obviously there's stuff with, with Bigfoot as well, but with UFOs, the paranormal encounter is, is a feature of it. It's not, it's not a bug. It's not a weird thing. It doesn't happen in this, there's one weird instance. It seems to be happening recurringly in all of these cases. So when you get to see like UFO encounter, weird beings, paranormal activity, you know, especially with John Keel and Mothman, it was like UFOs, paranormal, it was everything. Right. And, in, and it led up to the cryptid Mothman, but they were all so interconnected. I don't know. I love that book. So I've probably talked about it a million times, but you ever read that one <laughs> I mean, Mothman? It, of course. Yeah. No, yeah, I was, was going to say, dude, I definitely so. think it's a good it's, one. And 
an interdimensional thing, even if it's just uh, like I kind of got into this theory at one point talking about this like whole block universe concept that a good way to imagine it almost is that if there's just continuous cubes that are just stacking forever, say we're in like the center cube of that and there's going to be one above one on each side, essentially. And mm -hmm. I feel like there's a possibility that all these different things could essentially be coming from different cubes that are around our cube. But the way that the cubes would work would be that you'd have to transverse through one cube to get into the other cube. So a good way to maybe possibly relate it is that the reason why all this weird stuff comes into our reality, it seems like it still kind of interacts in the same way, but almost like they're from different places, could be almost just that weird, that annoying middle spot that they need to pass through our cube in order to get to the other cubes that they're trying to get to. And I mean, maybe the one to the right has all Sasquatch beings, the universe that Sasquatch beings became the apex and they just are the, the rampant thing that lives everywhere. Um, and another one, there's the, the gray universe that there's like these different humanoids and different things. And I mean, even just going into different dimensional ideas too, um, it could be just different variations of like almost like the same timeline that little differences happen. And because of that, that's where this world progressed to. Like, you know, there was the Sasquatch beings and they became like the primary living thing for this reality. So then they took over this one, but they all kind of start off from the same point, but they're almost like diverging timelines based on different events that have happened in that area that then resulted in that cube being formed. And I mean, even for like the gray stuff, more often than not, it seems like I kind of relate it to, they seem to be related to us in some way, shape or form. Um, and you hear a bunch of different variations on how they could be related to us, but I almost feel like kind of digging into, do uh, you dig into Graham Hancock's work with the whole like ancient apocalypse kind of concept? Oh yeah, absolutely. We've talked about Graham Hancock before. We're actually going out to a conference that he's going to be at sometime in October. So, oh, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, I bet yeah. that's I, I I could sit and listen to that guy talk for hours. Yeah, He's just yeah, one that's... of those guys that just has a way of talking. <laughs> but uh, just talking about the ancient apocalypse concept, um, that you know, I believe that this definitely has happened multiple times, and there's been different like things that have been able to kind of fill the niche, so to speak. So it seems like there was at one point something that happened that made everybody go underground because of some type of uh, cataclysmic event that came from the sky. And then the next one after that, I mean, it could have been still a cataclysmic event that came from the sky, but because of the location where it hit, if you dug into that ancient apocalypse uh, documentary you did, yeah. it melted all these ice caps and then it rushed everything with water. So you had one generation that went underground and they have adapted and then they live underground. That's kind of just where they've been, where they've been sitting. They still could be there now. And then the next group of people that happened after that, um, you know, they had the whole thing with like the floods that were happening. So I kind of related to the fact of maybe that's possibly why they built all these pyramid structures was rather than it having any type of like, I mean, it definitely has some type of like occult meaning to it, but one just straightforward concept on why they could be building these structures is the idea that if there's some kind of great water that rushed in, if you have this uh, pyramid structure where everybody can climb up it from any side at any point, it could be more of like a safety barrier that if there's giant water, there's a bunch of waters that are coming, at least everybody has this one really tall structure in the middle of the city to be able to all try to get to the top point to hopefully avoid the water. And in I feel like that's uh, kind of where they, they ended up going with it is that they kind of built depending on what that last cataclysmic event was. But just kind of like now, I feel like if there was a cataclysmic event that happened, of course, uh, with all of these ancient cultures, they were probably a lot more advanced than we kind of gave them credit for. So just kind of relating it to now, that if you had the elites, all the people that have money, of course, they're going to go off planet and they're going to leave everybody else to kind of just fend for themselves and figure it out. 
So if there was advanced cultures in the past, why couldn't the same thing have happened multiple times? Where you, just a weird connection with the greys, because I'm glad that you brought it up. Um, mm -hmm. All these weird goblin-looking tunnel beings that people see. They seem like they're very closely related to almost like a feral version of like a gray. So I kind of wonder if during one of these cataclysmic events that have happened throughout time, if there was the species that was maybe like a predecessor to humans possibly, um, rather than the typical idea that people think that they're humans like from the future, so to speak, but that there was the ones that went off planet, which are the ones that were the elites, all the ones that had money, the ones that, um, you know, continued on the knowledge, carried on that knowledge, became even more advanced technologically. And that's the grays that we know of that are coming from the sky. But there was still all of the like poor people that they just left because, you know, they're just trying to fend for themselves and all of them went underground. And that could be all of these like cave goblins that we're seeing is that they've adapted to be underground where they're not necessarily like using technology, but they're being more of like a natural way of living so they could be related to these greys that are coming from the sky. And this event could have happened multiple times, too, with different uh, types of species being like the main focal point of, I guess, the Earth at that time, where you talk about like the mantis beings and the ant people and all these other different weird people that come from the ground. But then there's also weird stuff about them also coming from the sky. And I've wondered if there's been multiple cataclysms, if each one of these cataclysms, there was like a different form of human and there was a variation that stayed here, and then there was a variation that went off planet. And we still see some of these remnants of the ones that were still here. I mean, a lot of them could have potentially died out or completely just learned to inhabit and live underground. Um, but that's where we see all these different beings coming in is that the reason why they have this relation, they want to be on this planet, is because this was originally their home planet. And it's just different forms of life that have taken over as each of these cataclysms have happened. And part of that occult knowledge could be the fact that it's not humans each time these cataclysms have happened but different like sub variations of humanoids that have adapted to be on this planet because it seems like i've talked about this with a few different researchers that the apex as far as like physical reality goes um is the two hands two legs just like our structure of like the humanoid structure before you start getting into like all the spiritual like ascending dimensional stuff where your physical vessel might be a little bit different but as far as like our physical reality goes and interacting with our physical reality, it seems like our build is like the apex. So why wouldn't anything else that gets to that apex point start to form into kind of like the same shape that we are to be able to interact with their environment as easily as possible? But just kind of getting off on a tangent there. But I know I, I like this the is tangent. About with the I like the tangent because I one of the other things I brought up too is like there's always because we see these what we would call what people call spaceships essentially. We see UFOs, right? We just assume that that means they're coming from outer space, yet there's so many stories of them going into the ocean, going to mountains, going underground. So it makes you wonder, like, are a lot of the things that we just assume are coming from outer space, are they Are they not? Are they here? Like, there's this whole theory about, you know, uh, kind of like alternate uh, evolutions and things like that, but just the idea that some of these beings, the reason we see them in pyramids and we see them being called different things throughout all of time, it's not because they keep visiting us from space, it's just they've always been here. And they're they're living maybe somewhere else underground or under the ocean or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, you're right about the elites. Like the elites right now, one of the craziest things getting to conspiracy stuff a little bit is like, uh, what's that book? It was um, Behold a Pale Horse. You ever you ever yep. read that one? Yeah, yeah. He that, talks that was about. A one. <laughs> yeah, but it's a good one. He talks about. Yeah. <laughs> um, he talks about like all these crazy secret bunkers that the elites have. And when he wrote about it, I don't remember what he wrote about seventies or eighties or something. Maybe it was the early 90s. doesn't matter. Uh, he wrote about it, and um, I can't think of the guy's name right now. Will, Will something. 
Um, it sounded insane, but now we just know, like now it's just taken for granted that our elites have bunkers under DC and, you know, we've got Cheyenne mountain complex and all of these things, like all these places that they'll go to in case of a cataclysm. So like, it's always interesting to me when you see things that's crazy, no way, no way. And then it just gets like spoon fed to you a little bit at a time until everybody just accepts it. It like, for me, it's the, the best example of this is like government spying, like if you watched TV in the 90s, there was this joke like, oh, is my the crazy neighbor would think uh, my TiVo's spying on me. My TiVo's spying on me. You know, they, they put, you know, microchips in my teeth or whatever. And it was always like this idea, like, wouldn't you know, your crazy neighbor thinks the government wants to watch what you do. And then 2012 rolls around and Google's like, yeah, we read all your emails. And then Edward Stone's like, yeah, they listen to all your calls too. And now we're just like, yeah, we know that when we're on Instagram, they watch us. They can track all of our things. If I think about something, I get an advertisement for it. And we just accepted it because it was just a little, little bit at a time, like not enough to make you like freak out and like totally shift your whole worldview in an instant. But if they like feed it to you a little bit at a time for 20 or 30 years, then the thing that would have made people lose their minds in 1990 is just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, Alexa, how do I make pancakes? You know, government government spying device. How do I make pancakes? Like that's where we're at today. Um, anyway, we're getting off on some tangents, so I do want to I do want to get into the Wendigo stuff here in a minute. But really quick, I want to give a shout out to our local subscribers, people that come over and and uh, you know get the bonus content. We do the unhinged content. We got another episode tomorrow. Abby will still be gone, but I've got my great friend, Daryl, uh, unifier.tv is coming on with me tomorrow to talk about all kinds of crazy conspiracy stuff in the news. So, uh, bones 1719. Uh, thank you for subscribing over on locals, Illuminati and Illuminati, which is my favorite name, like K N O T T Y Illuminati <laughs> and Mr. Johnny pants, both got a yearly subscription to locals. So thank you guys so much for supporting the show. Appreciate you guys. All right. Anyway, let's put the tangent aside for a minute. I want to talk about uh, the Wendigo a little bit. And I know you dive into this stuff way more than I do. So do you think you could give us like a if somebody doesn't know anything about Wendigos or Wendigos or however you say it, what like what is what what it, what are they and kind of what's the lore there? So I guess the good point to kind of break it apart is that everybody has this typical image of what they think a Wendigo would be, which is the whole giant lanky looking being with the deer head but if you yeah. actually dig into native folklore that was never how they are intended to be that was something that ended up happening because of not hollywood at the time but just trying to glorify and try to show like how primal the uh native lore actually was so it was mainly from like white writers that were coming in and trying to retell these stories that they started getting into that depiction of the wendigo but if you actually dig into the folklore, uh, the best way to describe it is that it's almost something that resembles like a zombie. Uh, they're known to have like decaying, gross, like fleshy skin. Uh, they're tall and lanky. Um, there's also a part that seems to be pretty common with the old lore that they're obviously always hungry. So they're so hungry to the point where basically Wendigos will eat their lips off. So they're known to not have lips because they will literally eat them off because the hunger is so, it drives them so much that they, it's, they'll just eat whatever they can. And the reason why you would turn into a Wendigo is through resorting to cannibalism. So a lot of people will say that the whole idea of the Wendigo was mainly just to kind of deter people away from cannibalism during like the hard winter months. Um, Cause a lot of the whole things when it comes to uh, a lot of the native folklore is lessons. I mean, even if it's something that's literal, they try to hide lessons within it because they're just trying to teach the next generation through oral tradition. Uh, but when it comes to the Wendigo in particular though, um, 
there's just a lot of weirdness with it in the aspect of it doesn't just kind of hold into one place. Like there's different variations of like the word Wendigo. Like a prime example is like Wachuge. And that actually, if you dig into it, they're very similar, but they do have some differences um, being that the Wendigo uh, is when you resort to cannibalism. And then the Wachuge would be somebody who's over, has too much pride. Uh, Somebody thinks they're stronger, better than everybody else. That would be the person that would become the Wachuge. But uh, with the Wendigo, they, um, they uh, basically the, 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 what happens with them is that you become one through resorting to cannibalism and then you never have your hunger ever quenched. So the idea is that they get bigger with each time they eat and they just become more and more hungry. So as the time goes on of being a Wendigo, uh, you just become more and more vicious because of just this hunger taking you over. And um, let's see here. we got to bounce through the notes real quick and kind of check into a couple things on here. No, it's all good. I'm glad you brought um, up the uh, thing about the antlers and stuff like that because I was showing some pictures on screen for people who are listening to this later. We try to show stuff. So if you guys want to watch some rumble or watch this live, we're live every Wednesday night. But um, all the pictures you find are of them with the antlers. But from what I understand, that's more of a European retelling of the Wendigo than the original uh, stories about them. Like you said, they're more like zombies, like tall, lanky, scary zombie things. The other way that I kind of related it, at least for like uh, the depiction that people think of a Wendigo, is that the prime example of it is you have all of these uh, Native American locations that were very important locations to the natives. And when the white uh, settlers came in, uh, they changed the names of all these things to like Devil's Peak, Devil's whatever. Yeah, and yeah. they've kind of turned it into this... Uh, it, it, it makes it seem like it goes anti, like, against their religion. Because obviously when all these Christian view type people were coming in, they kind of saw all of these things as pagan religions and that they were blasphemous, whatever. So they tried to basically dampen their folklore by making it sound like it was demonic. So that's kind of where I think that the whole, like, Wendigo with the deer antlers and everything comes in is that they were trying to depict, like, a demonic figure to show that, like, their tradition and folklore is pagan it's bad it's satanic it's this and when you think of anybody that was coming from the christian viewpoint back in those days you see anything that has horns it doesn't matter if it's a deer if it's like anything like anything that has that typical view you're instantly going to associate with the demonic and i think that that was partly where it was coming from was people trying to retell native stories but in turn in the process also try to kind of like shoot them down and promote the whole like christian viewpoint on things and because of that, it ended up translating into this whole new figure that people really enjoyed the image of um, versus just like a typical like zombie. Like if you see a, a zombie, you're not going to know it's necessarily like a Wendigo. But if you see the depiction that we've kind of presented through like modern folklore with the Wendigo, like it just makes it so it's like an instant thing that people can see quickly. And I mean, there's not necessarily any crazy folklore really digging into it about them really transforming into any type of like animal type being, but there are different variations of, uh, I guess kind of like the same different names for like the same type of being and yeah, yeah. different tribes, variations of different tales. And, uh, there are a couple of them that talk about them being giant, like giant related. Um, mm-hmm. and then they do kind of incorporate certain like beast characteristics into them. Um, like having like animal legs, different things like that. But, more often than not, when I dig into my research, I kind of feel like it's the natives had their story and then people came in to try to collect those oral traditions 
and they put their own spin on it. And now a lot of the time we're looking at this stuff like it's actually like the native lore, but it's not actually the native lore because there's nobody around to really necessarily correct that. But if you talk to people that are direct descendants of um, certain groups of Native Americans, um, then they more often than not, the depiction that you're going to get is this tall, lanky, zombie-like creature with yellowish eyes that chews its lips off and keeps getting bigger and bigger with each meal that it eats because it just, again, becomes more and more hungry and its its hunger will never be satisfied. And right. there's also this kind of weird part to it where they're not necessarily fully inherently evil either um, because it's more so, again, you resorted to cannibalism uh, because of being forced to do it because you had no other choice. So there's this like internal struggle that you'll hear more often than not when it comes to like Wendigo where there's certain tales where somebody will know that it's one of their family members and they'll drop the name of their family member and then they'll almost have this like internal struggle because there's this other aspect to the lore depending on which tribe you're talking about that they talk about there being like this this nature spirit that takes you over. So if you're kind of going along those lines, then you have this like internal battle that the person is still inside of there, but so is this nature spirit. So when you do certain things that reconnect them back to their human life, then they stop for a minute and they try to fight that evil spirit within them. And there's a lot of tales of basically, again, people saying the person's name because they know who this Wendigo was, where they freeze and then they're able to get away from this person. And there's even, you dig into this lore, there's even stories about how people would become a Wendigo and they would still be able to keep some kind of touch with their human side and they would actually become like helpful to the humans uh, to the point where there's this one particular story and it's actually more, it's under the name of like Wachuge rather than Wendigo. But basically this Wendigo was... Which you gay? I'll just go with that term. Um, was basically just like wandering around in the woods and ended up meeting this Native American couple, and the woman from the couple ended up calling this thing father. And by calling it father, it kind of filled this void with the Wendigo. So the Wendigo or Wachuge, I keep mixing up the terminology with it because this story in particular is the Wachuge. Um, but because of that, it brings back that human connection with it. So it ends up becoming helpful to them to the point where it'll help them hunt. It'll do all this different thing. And it just basically requests that they call it father um, just because it that's where its connection was. And it gets to the point in the story where there's another one. And this one actually fights the other one in order to save this family. And after that, um, the woman ends up coming up with this, uh, with this mixture. And from some of the other research I was doing, it seems to be some type of mixture of um, like, the fat oil, which would make you throw up, which is kind of the idea of what it's getting to with it. Um, but she gave that to him because she heard that it was supposed to be a cure for the Wachuge. And what ended up happening was that this guy ended up throwing up a miniature ice figure of a person, and then they threw up another one, and then they threw up a third one. And when they threw up the third one, basically what it said is, daughter, you have killed me, and it grabbed that last one and put it back in. And when it came to the folklore of it, essentially what it was saying was that with each victim, it ended up uh, like taking it like frozen and it was inside of it. So it was basically those were the different souls that were within this being. And depending on the folklore, because, um, again, it's one of those things that it mixes between different tribes. Yeah. Um, either one of two things is going to happen if the Wendigo throws up its soul back, its icy little variation figure of itself. And that's either one that it's going to die or two that it's going to resort back to human form. And there's even some lore that kind of talks about one of both of those things could possibly happen. You're kind of just have to flip the coin and kind of see what's going to happen. So it's like a matter of, are you willing to 
fight this internal battle for the rest of your life and stay a Wendigo just to be able to stay alive? Or are you willing to take that extra step in order to resort back to becoming human again? And it seems like it's one of those things where it comes with a lot of tales that there's, there's the pain that resorts in the pleasure at the end of it that makes it so that you can become a good person again. So this whole throwing up of the soul is supposed to be like a painful process. So it almost seems like it's almost like karma back for resorting to cannibalism in the first place is that you have to go through this really hard hardship um, of either you're going to die or you're going to survive and become a human again. And it basically, it's it's an internal struggle and you're either going to become one or you're going to deter back and you're going to be able to become a human again. But so yeah, there's there's a million tales digging into this stuff. (laughs) It's very interesting because it's like you said there, you, you were saying the Wendigo and the, the, I'm sorry, the Wachuga. I don't want to say that one wrong. Wachuga. Wachuga. And then there's also obviously the skinwalker and people will make differences and variations. These things. I kind of wonder, and I want to get your opinion on this too, about like, we've talked about this with Bigfoot before where like you hear about Bigfoot, then you hear about skunk ape, then you hear about, uh, Yeti and hear about these things. And it's like, are they, is this similar with the skinwalker where it's also maybe possibly just being like the same phenomenon, the same being being called different things by different tribes. And before you answer that really quick, I just want to say one other thing too. Cause like when you're talking about this, it, it makes sense to me on a, on a storytelling point. Like you said, even with the Wendigo, it's like they could be talking and, and very likely are talking about a real thing, then using that real horror, that real cryptid that's living in the woods to express, you know, stories and things like that. We do this all the time, right? I mean, we do it now with like wolves and tigers and things like that. It wouldn't be surprising to me if people did it in in different times with other things that they knew to be real as well. Um, So when you're talking about like Western people getting a hold of this, there's nothing in the Bible about demons having horns or whatever, things like that. But it is a very easy way to tell a story and be like, the thing with horns is bad. It's kind of a shortcut, I would say, in a lot of ways. Like, this is a literary device people use of, like, if I should, like, like a, for instance, you know, guy with a big scar on his face. You know, that guy's bad. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a scar on your face, but it's just a quick, easy, like, visual way to tell things. So I can understand how, like, it being retold, it would show up with antlers to some people or horns to some people just to, to kind of show it that way, especially when you're looking at something that, uh, from my standpoint, I'm sure from any other Western Christian standpoint would come as like, this sounds very much like demonic possession. It sounds like they're throwing up these demons and things like that to try to come back to being a normal person. So relating it back to your culture with horns and stuff doesn't shock me. That's actually makes a lot of sense why that would happen. Um, But anyway, back to my other question about it. Do you think that there is, do you think a lot of these things that we're talking about are the same things that are being talked about in different ways? Like I, I know there's a difference between how skinwalkers and Wendigos are made. We can talk about that. But do you think that maybe like it's kind of I don't know, maybe you don't think that about Bigfoot either, but I kind of think there's a lot of different Bigfoot variations or just Bigfoot being called different things by different people. No, I definitely think that at least for the Bigfoot part of it, that it's more so just adapting to the environment. You know, if you're living in the swamps, you're going to want to look like Spanish moss. It helps you blend in a little bit better. Um, And maybe it'll be a smaller version of Sasquatch because it's living in a swamp and it's able to eat frogs and just has more readily available things where a big one these giant giant ones that don't have the hair like that, they, of course, would have to have bigger meals, so they're a little bit bigger. They have to take down bigger prey in order to sustain themselves longer, uh, have a little bit more weight on them to sustain themselves through winter versus, like, a skunk ape that would be in a warm, hot, humid environment all year where it doesn't mm-hmm. have to, like, try to pack on and maintain that weight. Well, just like Yeti but, uh, would be white if it lives in the, you know, the frozen tundras, right? 
Actually, I was going to make a comment on this. Um, if oh, you dig okay. into the lore of the Yeti, they're not actually white. Um, if you dig into the Tibetan lore with it, they're actually either a brown, uh, light yellow, like a blonde color, or mm. like a dark brown. And that whole white variation was another thing that just kind of happened for the sake of telling a story that if you associate ah. something with snow and winter, you turn it white. But if you actually, yeah, dig into the folklore, their Yetis wouldn't actually be white. That so makes that it sound even, even more, more like so a Bigfoot then, right? Exactly. That's that was kind yeah. of my logic with it. It's just different variations of different ones living in different areas that have adapted to live in that area. And I mean, mm -hmm. it's kind of the same with humans too. If you really break down humans to begin with, you know, white people are intended to live in cold regions. That's why we ha our hair lays flat. It keeps the heat in. Yeah. Um, our skin tries to pull out anything that it can out of the sun. That's why it's white. That's why we get burned so easy. And then when it comes to the people that are like from Africa, for example, uh, their hair is coiled because it's intended to release heat because they're not needing to maintain heat because they're in a hot area. And in turn, also their skin is darker so that it doesn't get burned by the sun because it doesn't pull in everything that it can. So we, you see this within people that you we, fit into certain niches depending on what area you live in. But why would we talk about uh, we talked about Betty and Barney um, Hill? A few weeks ago, you, you familiar with the you know the 1969 and 1961 UFO abduction case of Betty and Barney Hill? Oh Black yeah, of and course. I actually recently yeah, yeah. did I, something I on that did. too. Actually, I figured you did. I was just like making sure. But it was interesting because one of the things that Barney had said is that the aliens were kind of fascinated that they were two different colors, and that might have just been you know whatever people use it as like to say, oh, this whole story was just their racial tensions coming through their subconscious, some Freudian bullshit. But what I find funny is if you think about it, right? Like if, if you were to come across human beings for the first time and you saw some are, you know, like, you know, yellowish and some are brown and some are black and some are white, would you say, oh, these are all different creatures? Just like how I think we're doing with Bigfoot. It's like, oh, well, this one's a little bit browner and this one's a little bit redder and this one, you know, they all smell the same. They're all the same height and build, but they live in different areas. So we're going to call them different things. They're definitely different things. Like I wonder if people would say that about humans because humans don't come in one variety <laughs> either. Most animals do though. And I think that's maybe what's like difficult for people. I mean, part of their fascination at least is if you're kind of getting into the whole idea about the grays possibly being like us from the future, um, you eventually take all the races, blend them all and you'll get to a point where there's just one race because all the yeah, races yeah. have blended together. So okay. part of their fascination could even be the concept of like seeing the differences before everything blends together. That they're like, they, they knew that they were a compound of all the races put together, but you're not seeing them individually split apart. So, I mean, that could have been partly where some of that fascination came into, at least with that one. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, that's, that's just kind of my opinion on it, I guess. <laughs> no, no, that's another interesting opinion. I was just thinking about it in the way of like, you know, people, if you weren't familiar with humans, you could think that they were different species just based on like, if we're judging it by the same way that we judge things like Yeti versus Bigfoot. Anyway. Uh, well, I mean, assumably too, though, if we landed on another planet and there was some type of alien race, if they looked pretty much all exactly the same, besides maybe some face characteristics and color, I mean, assumably before we had an understanding of it, you know, we would assume that yeah. they were different, different beings to begin with. Right. Um, assumably it would be the same for anything that came to this planet is that until they had more of an understanding of what was going on, uh, they wouldn't, they, they would seem as different things. And I mean, obviously the UFO phenomenon has been happening forever. So, I mean, it seems like they would have an understanding of the fact that we're all just different variations of the same species. Um, but then, you know, you kind of get into the whole idea about how there was the big UFO flaps that started happening around that time. And mm. maybe it was one of those things that they were gone for they were gone for a while and then they came back 
And that's where like the fascination came in is that they were seeing these like different different variations right. and splits of people, and they were trying to almost like reestablish the knowledge to understand that they were all the same. But where they are now, I don't think that that would be the same reaction because I feel like they have more of an understanding of that concept. And maybe it was just the fact that they were gone for so long and came back that they had to like reestablish an understanding of how the human race works. And that was that weird point of like, hey, why does this one look a little bit different than that one? But yet they kind of look a lot of the same. They have the same yeah. phys- physical characteristics. The only difference is they come in different variations and colors. Kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you, you told me that you had... Um, a possible encounter with a Wendigo. And I, I wanted to hear a little bit about that story. So I guess I'll bring it all the way back to the very beginning of this because there also is a shadow person encounter that all kind of ties in within the same place. So my girlfriend and I, we used to do urban exploring. So if anybody's not familiar with that, it's pretty much where you go through abandoned buildings and just check out the place. Um, you do some paranormal investigating along the way if they're haunted locations, but essentially just exploring urban, decrepit, uh, abandoned places. So we were kind of doing that, bounced around the area, and then we ended up finding this fascination with this place called Northville Psychiatric Hospital, which unfortunately they re- they tore it down a couple of years ago, so it's not there anymore. Uh, but this place, dude, is like prime location for anybody that's into urban exploring because I live near the Detroit area, so it's like there's a lot of cool places to urban explore down in Detroit, but you run into the fear of like who's living in there. Um, could you get stabbed by a crackhead? Like you don't know for sure. Man. That's just that's just the city. That's how there's it a lot of but. abandoned buildings, but it doesn't mean they're not lived in. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> <inhabited>. <laughs> but at least yeah. like this area, it was a little bit nicer of an area. So there wasn't like a like an overabundance of like drug users or um, anything like that. So it was just it's not I want to say safe because it is urban exploring, but less of a probability of running into just. Uh, characters i guess is probably a good way of wording it but so we we ended up checking out this place and when i said it's extensive like this place was beautiful if you're into that kind of stuff like it wasn't just one building there was the original big hospital that was in the center of this and then there was satellite locations that go around it there was like a dorm there was a gym area um there was was, was the hospital abandoned yes the hospital was abandoned. this whole okay. location this whole area was abandoned because there's it had another buildings on the same site there's another abandoned uh, mental hospital in northern Michigan that there's all kinds of crazy stories from. So I didn't know if you maybe were familiar with the one up in Traverse City at all or any of the stories with that. I haven't actually gotten to go there myself. Um, yeah. I've heard that they uh, basically just turned it into like tours and half of the building now is like uh, like offices. It's and a farmer's. Area, so. Yeah, it's a farmer's market now. Yeah. <laughs> but but so growing really, up, like, it was. explore it. <laughs> yeah. Growing up, they used to people used to break in all the time. And I heard all my friends, you know, tell me stories of like all the crazy things that happened there. And then the one, when I finally went there, it was like it's a farmer's market on Sundays in the in the bottom of like this abandoned uh, psych ward. It's really it's really strange, dude. But there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff like that in northern Michigan. So they, they turn every like haunted, creepy place into a tourist attraction up there because like the only thing they have in northern Michigan is tourism. So there's like the um, it's that one out on the point in Travers that was like that famous ghost story. And uh, it's a. I, they keep changing the name of it, but it's a restaurant essentially. There's like a barn that's also a restaurant, and then a house that's a restaurant. You say it's up in the UP? No, 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 no. Up, in, up in Traverse, not- up in Traverse City. So there's like, um, there's that peninsula. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Traverse City. But there's that peninsula that goes out a ways, and there's a, I can't remember what it's called anymore. Jolly Pumpkin is what it was called at one point, but there's like a ton of names for it. Well, I, I'm actually not familiar with that area, but I'll have to check it out. Okay. Now that you mentioned it, but I've been trying to go to. Um, that, that hospital forever but it's just still that thing where it's like uh if you're doing tours 
it always kind of throws me yeah, off because yeah. if people are expecting to see something paranormal and this place is set up for tours, uh, it kind of pulls away from the actual true research of it because they could have stuff set up. Like, you don't know for sure, you know? Like, you, there's a whole thing about, like, oh, you throw a ball into this area and it gets tossed back to you. It could be simply that they put a fan there just for the sake of tourist attraction. But for whenever sure, a haunted yeah. location becomes a tourist <laughs> attraction, like, it's just really hard to really actually, like, do something with that location other than it just being a sense of amusement. But I guess kind of pulling back to uh, to Northville, yeah. Kind of funny that you said that they turned stuff into a, uh, like tourist attractions because not not that this place is a tourist attraction, but they pretty much tore it down and turned it into a park. But they um, going back into it, so we we got to the point where we'd go to this place so obsessively that we pretty much had the entire place mapped down. I knew where any location was to get into any particular spot. Um, we that when we actually figured out that there's actually uh, something called the Northville Tunnels that goes underneath it, and some of the entrances to that is through this hospital and these things are supposed to go pretty much completely under the city. Um, people have been lost down there and I never actually want to take the risk of going down there because you know, you run out of light on your flashlight and essentially you're just feeling your way through a dark tunnel yeah. hallway. So I guess before I get too far into the tunnel aspect of it, um, I'll kind of bring it back to the shadow person aspect of it and then I'll kind of steer it back into the Wendigo part. Um, but we, we go to this place almost every weekend, had everything mapped out and this is kind of where my fascination with, I mean, I've always been kind of into like weird phenomenon, but not digging into it um, for the aspect of like actual real world, like connection with it. Um, so I, we were going to this place and I saw like a no smoking sign and this weird little fucking tiki head and it was made out of foam. So I thought it was kind of cool. So I grabbed that, brought it home. Um, and then when we got home, I, we went upstairs, put everything away. Uh, came back downstairs. It was me and my girlfriend at the time. And the way that the front room is set up, it's one of those ones where it kind of loops around into the kitchen. So it's like a full circle walk around way. Mm -hmm. So we come down the stairs. We're standing at the bottom of the stairs. And she starts walking towards the kitchen. And when she starts walking towards the kitchen, both her and my eyes fixate on this one spot on the couch where there's this shadow that's darker than dark. And it's in the shape of a human. And she just had this thing where she didn't know what to do. So she just walked straight past it while staring at it because it's just one of those fight or flight kind of responses. And then she loops back around the other side of the kitchen and looks at me. I look at her and we both go, you, you saw that, right? Like we both saw it at the same time. And then it wasn't there anymore after she looped around and we both made eye contact back with it. So me kind of starting to dig into stuff again at that time, I wasn't super versed as far as all the kind of weirdness goes, uh, talking about just like things attaching themselves to objects and right, I kind of yeah. related it to the fact that I brought that no smoking sign home and that tiki. But the weird part about the tiki was the fact that it was made out of foam and hand painted. So what I thought specifically that thing attached itself to was that tiki head, because if it's a mental institution, you know, you have arts and crafts um, and just like in prison or whatever, you want to try to make it so that it's as safe for the patients as it possibly can be. So rather than like sitting here and shaving down wood, what they're right, going to do yeah. is give you a butter knife and a piece of foam and tell you to carve something and then paint it. So I, w I ended up assuming that this tiki head was probably an arts and crafts made by a patient at some point. So I ended up getting rid of that shit, and I never ended up seeing that shadow person in the house again. But that led into just, like, the fascination with Northville to begin with. So after that was when we kind of started getting into, like, the paranormal aspect of checking this place out. So we ended up uh, trying to find all the, like, spots where there's supposed to be, like, the weird paranormal phenomenon that happens. And one of the spots, of course, is the uh, the chapel that was in that place. And the weirdest part about the chapel was the fact that you go on in there and there's, like, a stage and a bunch of seating area. It's not, like, 
like a typical like chapel. It's more, I mean, it is, it's a chapel, but it's set up more almost like a, like an auditorium. That's probably a good way of describing it. And up on the stage of the auditorium, there's this pile of hymn books and Bibles, and there's a hole in the ceiling above it. And it's just water continuously dripping onto these books for who knows how fucking long. This place, I think, has been abandoned since uh, the late 90s, so at least probably like 15 years. Um, but yeah, just this pile of Bibles that's just wet, soggy, gross. And we used to take pictures in that area, and even in the middle of the night during that, no matter what time of day you took it, you'd always see these like orbs and they'd be gravitating around like that specific area on the stage, which kind of brought just like a weird aspect to it. But we never really saw anything like too crazy yet at this point. So then again, continuing on with like the paranormal stuff. Um, the other kind of weird experience that we had was we were up on the top floor of the place and the top floor, weirdly enough, all the windows are intact. There's no air rushing through anything. And uh, we're in the main, like, hallway area where like the elevator shafts and everything like that would be and we hear a door slam but not like a wind slamming it shut it t- sounded like somebody like an angry teenager walking into the room and just full-blown whipping the damn door to the point where you think it's going to break off the hinges so we all have a mini panic attack because this slam is loud as hell we're the only people in this building so it echoes through the entire building and we go and check out where it's at and uh the best relation that i could figure out which door it was, was this one door that was kind of weird. It was painted blue and it had a smiley face on it, but it was like this really weird, creepy smiley face. But we tried to open the door, let it sit for a while, see if uh, like wind would catch it to figure out if it was just some like a phenomenon caused by just something natural. And uh, we never ended up seeing the door slam again, but that was the only door on that floor that could be slammed because the rest of the doors were like the hard metal, like typical like hospital doors besides weirdly enough that one door. Um, so again, just continuing with just all the kind of like weirdness based around this place, um, that same day, which this is the week before I believe I had the, the Wendigo encounter, we're up on the top floor and this kind of connects in with actually what you were kind of asking before with like the possible like skinwalker connection with stuff, but we're up on the top floor and me and my girlfriend's friend looked down into the woods that were behind this place. And we both saw this big cat. Like it it was a cougar, like no doubt in my mind, this thing was a fucking cougar. And I'm like, you, you guys see that there's a cougar down there. And I swear to God, dude, this thing was looking up at me. Like it was creepy as shit. Like looking me in the eyes, looking up at me in the eighth floor. Like, and I don't think it's typical for like a cougar to look up. Like I would have a reason to look up into a window on the eighth floor of this building, but it just creeped me out. It made this like weird connection. And then it just linked back into the woods and I didn't believe that I actually saw that because obviously living in Michigan, cougars aren't something that you would typically see in Michigan. So I ended up digging into it and figuring out that apparently there had been cougar sightings in the area and nobody actually ever fi- ended up finding a carcass to this day. I'd never, It was never found again. It was just random people happened to see this cougar in this area. And I think that this kind of relates into what the thing that I saw. So Again, we got to the point where we explored this place so much to the point where I had everything mapped out. The only part that we hadn't really explored were these tunnels just because I wasn't willing to take that risk at that time. So one day I decided, hey, man, let's we've got this place mapped out. Let's see how far we can get into the tunnels. We got some extra batteries just in case. Uh, we won't go too far in. We'll kind of just get, a, get our feelers for it. So in the basement of this place is one of the access to the tunnels. And the reason it, it's not like a typical normal access to the tunnel, it's uh Look, it's there's the tunnels that go underneath the city and then there's like the basement walls and it literally looked like somebody removed the bricks to access the tunnel through the basement. Like it wasn't something that was like built into the building originally. 
So just kind of weird off of that to begin with, especially the fact that it looked like it was like professionally done, like a team did it versus like somebody <clears> just <throat> knocking down part of the wall. Like the the bricks not just that somebody with like a not just somebody with like a spoon trying to like tunnel their way out of an insane asylum or something. Yeah, exactly. Like there wasn't there there was like say like just to make this whole let's just say like thirty bricks removed and there wasn't a stack of thirty bricks sitting anywhere. Like it was professionally removed at some point. So. We, we, because we, we've seen this during the day and this was at night. So we, we've been down in the basement and we knew that this access to the tunnel was in the basement. So we're like, fuck it. We're going to go down through there versus uh, going into these weird little like bunker holes that were all over the, the location that you could also access the tunnels through. Uh, we decided to go down through this basement area. So we end up going down into the basement and just like most things, uh, I end up being the one that's in the front because I'm like, fuck it, bring it on. I want to see what we got to see here. <laughs> like, I don't want to be in the back. I want to be the guy that sees the original thing when it stuff happens because, I, you know, it's one of those things that you believe so much into something that's a weird phenomenon to the point where it's like you need some type of like gratification to know that you're not crazy. You want to see some weird shit. So it's like the typical person to be scared to see the stuff, but it's like I almost need like validation and proof for it. So I'm more than happy to be in the front. So I'm versing down and being the front person and we come down the stairs and there's a, one of those hole cutouts that isn't necessarily going into the tunnels yet but just another hole cutout that's in the wall so we come down and i turn the corner and i have a flashlight and i'm looking forward and when i look forward i see this thing that's sitting behind this like metal like hospital gurdy guard cart and when I see this thing, I spot it with my eye. I hear this voice that's on the right side of me that says run. And it's just this creepy, ominous, like male's voice. And as I hear that, this thing stands up. And the best way I can describe it is I only saw the back of this thing. But it was tall, lanky, like fleshy, gray, like almost like a, like a cave dweller type of like skin. Like that, that zombie looking skin. And it had long, black, lanky, greasy looking hair. And when it stood up, it was not the typical, like, build of a human. Like, even, like, a crackhead being in the basement. Like, people aren't built like this thing was built. It was, it stood up with this, like, just an unnatural way of standing up. But I heard the run. I saw that for a split second. So I took the fuck off and went up the stairs. I had my girlfriend and her friend with me. And I didn't explain shit to them. They just saw me run. And I said run to them. So we all just took the fuck off out of there. But in the process of us running out of there, my girlfriend is taking pictures back as we're leaving. And this kind of is where it ties into the fact of them possibly being more supernatural than we give them credit for, was saw this weird cougar. Nobody ever saw anything that connected with it. This thing looked up at me like it was not like a typical cougar. And then the following weekend, we see this thing in the basement. And then as we're running away, my girlfriend's taking pictures and... It's not solid fleshy, but almost like a like an apparition photo, but exactly what I saw in the basement. You can see this thing crouched down, long black hair in its face with white skin. And actually, I'll send you the picture of it after the show because I saved them on my phone. Um, but yeah, it was just that's where honestly a lot of my fascination with all of this weird stuff kind of came into play where I didn't know what this thing was forever. Like, I, I started digging into stuff. I thought it was a pale crawler. I thought it was this. I thought it was that. And I completely deterred away from the idea of it being a Wendigo just based off of the typical depiction of Wendigo. Like, I didn't see a deer-headed right, being. Yeah. So my mind instantly pushed away from that. So then I bring it up to maybe about a year or so ago. Um, it's the third episode of Bizarre Encounters, if anybody wants to go and check it out. But uh, I had Justin from Cryptids of the Corn on. And I was telling my story with all these pieces, not realizing that there was connecting pieces between them. 
and he starts connecting stuff with me and we start connecting the fact that one Wendigo are known to be in the cold um, because they're like a dying flesh. So it's a matter of like preserving flesh. So they're known to, according to lore, be in like caves or tunnels and things like that during like the summer months. And then the story usually goes from the first snowfall to the last snowfall, you're not safe from the Wendigo because that's when they come out. But the rest of the year, they're still somewhere. And a lot of the lore would be that they would hide underground because obviously everything is like a refrigerator underground. It preserves them. So we start connecting that dot with the fact that this thing was seen down in these tunnels, which are all completely abandoned tunnels that are a good like 30 degrees colder than the surface temperature when you're upstairs there. And then he connects in the fact of the whole like possible, like we're kind of getting into at first that Wendigo and a skinwalker could essentially be yeah. two different variations, but kind of cut from the same cloth about them being able to transform into creatures. So then he starts connecting that with that too. And, then you bring into the the human aspect of it that there's still that internal battle with the Wendigo that they are fighting this like spirit, so to speak, that's like possessing them, but their human self is still in there. And what he connected it with is I have Cherokee descendants. My grandma was hundred percent Cherokee. So that makes me 25%. So I have that Cherokee, I have the, the native blood. So what he was saying was that because of that, he thinks that, the human that was inside of this thing basically tried to warn me because it saw me as like a familiar, like I wasn't there to hurt it. So that's what the ominous, creepy male's voice that I heard in my right ear was, was actually like the spirit of the person that was inside of this thing, basically telling me to get the fuck away before it wasn't able to hold back the spirit anymore. And just again, connecting all these like weird pieces into stuff. And then I started digging into the actual depiction of a Wendigo based on native lore versus like you look up an image of a Wendigo and realized that basically what I saw was exactly the depiction of what somebody would assume that it would look like. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see the face because it would have been amazing if I would have been <clears> able to see the whole, if the lips were gone, because that just would have completely sealed the coffin. Like I would have known hundred percent what it is, but at least from my research, that's kind of where I connected back to is that I firmly believe it was a Wendigo. And in turn from all of that is kind of what pushed it more towards the me diving in, really digging into stuff. So I'm kind of glad that that happened from that aspect, because then if I never had that experience, I wouldn't be so into the fact of going by the original person's words to the T versus everything kind of getting clustered in. So at least like when I go to my research, um, as far as like American stuff goes, like I instantly, my, I go back to native folklore because they're always the ones, they were the original, as far as we know, they were like the farthest back that we know of that lived in this area. So assumably they would be the ones that would know the most about all of the weirdness and strange things that are happening in this area. So almost anything in America, weird cryptid wise, can be related back to some type of native folklore. And because of that, is kind of like where a lot of my viewpoint comes into stuff where at least on my show, um, I end up relating a lot of stuff back to native folklore because I think they have a lot with it. Like Sasquatch, for example, is native word. It's a, they had a connection with them. There is this whole thing with them. Um, you get into even uh, Mothman, for example, and there's yeah. native stories about Raven mockers, which is essentially that same thing. And it's a matter of, we have the American folklore, which is like the white people's names added onto all of these originally existing native American ideas such as Bigfoot, for example. Originally, these things were called Sasquatch. The reason that it was called Bigfoot was because when white people originally discovered these things, the reason why we kind of stumbled upon them was because uh, some uh, 
lumberjacks found a giant footprint. So they said that's a big foot. So boom, big foot, that terminology was born from there. And that's why that's like the almost like white word for the Sasquatch. But again, it all originates back to Native American folklore. So I almost feel like uh, it's just out of, out of respect that, you know, call them by the name that they originally were being called when these people were supposedly having contact with like Sasquatch beings, for example. But that, that's kind of the avenue I go into is that everything that pertains to Native American cryptids folklore, dig into Native American lore, and I guarantee you'll start finding some really weird shit. Okay, so this is really fascinating. I want to I want to go back on a few things. First of all, it's a crazy story, and and you said you'd send me a pic that picture later on. Yeah, right? as soon as we get off the okay. show, I'll send you one. I so have people, the original, and then I have the lightened version of it, so that you can kind of see the figure perfect, a little bit better. Perfect. So people are asking in chat about the picture. I, if you guys want to see it, I'll be posting it in Discord after the show, and then I'll also, if you guys are not uh, part of the locals community, I'll be posting it there. So you can go to conspiracypill.locals.com, or if you're not part of the Discord, you're listening to this later. Uh, all those links are conspiracypill.com or they're in the show description, things like that. So um, I'll be posting that there. But uh, you you brought up the the sorry the um, cougar and and the and the Wendigo and stuff like that. And one of the things that we were t- kind of touched on a few times, and for people who are not familiar, uh, the Skinwalker, right? Because the idea that I've have been told is that the Wendigo is not a shapeshifter the way that the Skinwalker is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. It's like more control, at least from like the aspect that I kind of view view it as. I think it's a matter of connecting with almost like the same spirit, but yeah, because yeah. of the connection that you make with it, kind of is where the variations come in with. So when you're like a Wendigo, for example, like because obviously the Skinwalker is a um, is a um, brain. I know I can't think of which Navajo. tribe these is Navajo. Navajo legends and, That's and what the. And the the sorry the Wendigo is like a Algonquin. Yep, is Algonquin, and then yeah, the Wachuge yeah. is Alabaskan, so that's like Northern Canada folklore. Right. Um, so the idea is that with the Skinwalker, that it is sorry. Help me get this right. The Wendigo is the one where you, if you perform cannibalism, basically you do you commit some great sin, then you're you're basically inhabited by this spirit and turned and transformed into this. Whereas the skinwalker is more you, it's like witch doctors that have done this to themselves, correct? Or is you that, invite it in. So in turn. Invite it in, right? Yeah. You you create like a contract with it. So in turn, you almost have the ability to be able to control these powers like yourself. Right. So that's like, that's the point that I wanted to make is like people are saying they're definitely not the same thing. But I'm like, well, it could be the same, what I would call a demonic spirit that's in either being, you know, coming into you, you know, this whatever they call it based on something you did or like you said in the case of the skinwalker inviting in and trying to i think not successfully control this you know demonic force or whatever word you want to use for it um so when you said that you saw it maybe as a as a cougar first and then you saw it as what you would say as a wendigo i find that interesting because i don't think in at least in my mind i don't think that the skinwalker and the wendigo are as different possibly as as some people are saying like Kind of the point I was making with Sasquatch is you could call it Sasquatch, Skunk Ape, Bigfoot, Yeti, but are they all possibly the same? They're at least cousins or related in some ways, kind of like Skinwalker, Wendigo, and and the others. I mean, for at least for me, I think that they come from the same spirit, again, but it's a matter of, one, you're trying to fight the spirit to leave your body, so you have no control over what it's doing. It does whatever yeah, the hell yeah. it wants. If it wants to turn into a cougar, it's going to turn into a fucking cougar. It's going to do whatever the hell it wants. But yeah. if you're a Skinwalker, you invited this thing in. 
where you do this ritual. And part of that ritual is that you kill a close family member. And I mean, like, close, close. Like, you're supposed to either kill, um, like, a spouse, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, like, very close family. So you full well know what you're doing and getting yourself into when you do this. And in turn, with the killing of that person, as it seems with a lot of this uh, making contracts with other spirits and beings, like, that's, that's, that's where you show your dedication to this thing is that you're willing to kill something in order to have a contract with it. So in mm-hmm. turn, it's like, all right, this guy's wicked. We can get along. I'll let you use some of my powers essentially. But I believe it's again, the same spirit, but a matter of the one made a contract so it can fully control everything because it is evil intended and knows that it's trying to do evil where the Wendigo is this constant battle between the person wanting to be a human again and the spirit saying, fuck you, you're going to do what I want and I'm going to control your body and I'm going to essentially possess you. And it's just, you're not going to never going to have control over, over a possession, you know, versus like, uh, all these like magicians and all the other weird shit that supposedly make contracts with devils. And then they're able to use the power of that, um, because they made a contract. Like it's one of those things that like it translates between different things and you just have to view it from that lens that essentially like the spirit could almost be like in another tradition, like what like a demon would be, so to speak. And yeah. again, you can either make a contract with the demon or you can fight the demon. Like your choice, whatever you want to do. But one you're gonna have more control, the other one you're gonna be fighting and be miserable for the rest of your existence. <laughs> it, it it I'm still fascinated by the part where you talked about the cougar thing because we're told by the DNR here in Michigan. We both, you know, live and grew up in Michigan. Uh, we're constantly told that there's no such thing as mountain lions in this state and things like that. I know too many people who have seen them, but what's even mo- what's more interesting to me in that, I mean, I saw one once, um, my dad has seen one, but what's more interesting to me is like the fact that around the mountain lions, again, we're told they don't live here, but I've also heard a lot of really delving into the paranormal almost when it comes to these mountain lion experiences. Like you would think, Oh yeah, the, the DNR is wrong about everything. There are mountain lions here. They attacked, you know, this person's horse last week, whatever we've heard those stories. But yet I've heard so many stories from people who are like, yeah, not only did I see a mountain lion, but it was something otherworldly to it. And I don't, I don't have to get into all the stories because they're kind of long, but like even, even one story, and I'm trying to remember who told me this about seeing a mountain lion and then seeing uh, a Bigfoot shortly after. And both of that, like the mountain lion felt off as in, it wasn't just like, oh, this is a scary big cat in the woods but something seemed wrong and they didn't pay attention to that kind of wrongness of the situation and leave with someone who's hunting. And then shortly after it was, you know, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, whatever. Um, so I don't know. I, I have nothing to say about that other than I just find it interesting that there's a possible connection there between that and, and a skinwalker Wendigo in that way. I mean, I want to throw in the fact too, that Northville for anybody that isn't familiar with Michigan, uh, this isn't a rural area. Like it's not like there's woods everywhere. Like it's city. No. It's yeah. close to city. So it's not like a place where there could be like cougars just within the, within the wilderness. It's not like Northern Michigan where there is a good possibility of it. Like, and then at least kind of pertaining to the Bigfoot and the cougar type of thing. Um, I more often than not think that there's not, it, when it comes to experiences like that, I guess a good way to word it is that there, they could be two separate things or they could actually be the same thing. Because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stories about these different types of beings, like trickster beings, that can portray themselves as whatever the hell they want to portray themselves as. So if you're trying to be incognito in the woods, but you still want to be an apex predator, what do you do? You be some type of mountain lion cougar. Then you can slide in front of hunters, and they're going to avoid you and not really do much about it, but you're not going to draw attention to yourself. 
But when you get to the point where it's like you want that hunter to leave, then you turn into this giant creature and scare the hell out, scare him away. So that's from the what area. I was thinking too. Is it like, hey, get the hell out of here? Oh, you didn't take the hint. I will transform into something much more frightening and like get my point across, kind of thing. That's kind of at least the intention that I got from it. And at least yeah. with like Native American folklore, um, for lack of a better term, they have these folklore about these like anti Sasquatch because typically they didn't have bad stories with the Sasquatch. It was more so that they had this like mutual understanding of like you know, we can benefit from each other. We'll leave you alone. You leave us alone. Then we'll kind of communicate when we want to communicate. But then there's also these stories about these Sasquatch that don't act like typical Sasquatch. And this is going to spark up a bunch of uh, red flags for a lot of people here. But the red eyes are part of that lore that people will see red eyes with these anti-Sasquatch. And they're known to be a lot more violent than a typical Sasquatch. And a lot of, like, the Sasquatch folklore kind of dives into the fact that they have, like, amber-colored eyes or... Not not typically red eyes, but there's still a lot of encounters that people have have shared about very violent Sasquatch with red eyes. And I kind of related to the fact that it could kind of cut into the same vein as this, that they're not actually even Sasquatch in the first place, but rather these yeah. uh, trickster beings that are pretending to well, be a Sasquatch. This is also the thing that comes up in Dogman. We talked about this on your show a little bit, but you see the amber-colored eyes with Dogman. And then I also see things like, and I can't remember the name of this, but there's a UP quote-unquote Dogman photo. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll find that for you guys as well, too, that are listening to Slater. I'll put that in Discord and stuff as well. There's this, they call it a dogman photo, but it looks like Sasquatch. And I, I've always wondered why there seems to be this like conflation of Sasquatch, but there's also this crossover, at least in Michigan, of like the amber colored eyes. And, and there's a lot of, I don't know. It's interesting though. Do you think that there's anything to that like anti Sasquatch trickster being and the dogman kind of being related? Um, I mean, I've kind of related to a lot of it with, uh, with on my show about the fact that I don't, I think there's a possibility that we're looking at Dogman and Sasquatch like they're two different things. But yeah. rather than that, they could almost be different races of the same kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, like a African-American versus versus a white person, they have mm -hmm. a lot of the same characteristics, but they're very visual, visually different. And I think that that could be part of what comes into it with, uh, with this. And uh, actually, there's seven different classifications for Dogmen, and the last four of them are all pertaining to more Sasquatch-like looking beings, but with Dogman characteristics. So my kind of theory on it is that there's a couple different possibilities, that there's a sub-variation of Sasquatch that has these more canine features, or yeah. there's a separate species that are these Dogmen, and then there's the Sasquatch, and they are two completely separate things. Or there's another combination that there could be that they breed with each other and create these like half breeds of almost like a Sasquatch dog man. But at least for me, my personal opinion, um, I'm still digging into it. I don't want to say this is definite because obviously with more information, your opinion's always changing on things. But um, for me, at least I kind of feel that they're, they're cut from the same cloth. Like they could again, be another variation of like skunk ape, uh, Yeti, Sasquatch, you know, we call it dog man because that's what it looks like to us. But I think that it could, again, be another sub variation of mm -hmm. Sasquatch beings. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you've got a hard time to head out soon um, in about 15 minutes. Would you mind sticking around for another 15 minutes? We'll give the audience a chance to ask some questions and stuff like that and uh, over on Rumble and Odyssey and things like that. Of course. Cool, You're man. So, room, man. Whatever you need. Yeah, me for, no, I appreciate it. I'm, just, ask, I'm here. Cause I like, honestly, I could keep talking about this stuff all night and I'm like, I want to keep a track of the times you got another show at nine o'clock. 
Um, but really quick, why don't you, we'll, we'll end the portion here for the audio listeners. Um, and then we'll just go over and just chat with people on rumble for a little while and stuff. So why don't you just, uh, let people know where they can find you, if there's any projects you want them to know about. And we'd love, you know, I'd love to have you back at some point, hopefully when Abby's here next time, we can both have you on. So, oh yeah, I'd absolutely love that. And actually just to throw this in there, if anybody is really interested in this Windigo stuff that I was digging into, um, I was pulling from my notes that I actually did a three part series on this. Uh, so if anybody really wants to dive into this different lore, figure out the difference between a Wendigo, a Wachuge, um, I have a three-part series on the Bizarre Encounters feed that's, uh, based, I believe I entitled it uh, Native American uh, Cannibal Creature Lore. Um, so highly recommend going and checking that out if you guys are interested in that. Um, I'm also working on this, uh, I guess you could say a new project, but without giving too much away, it's been this very um, evasive thing for the past couple of days that I kind of found a rabbit hole and I've been continuously digging into it and it keeps getting weirder and weirder the more that I find. And I've been mapping locations for things and uh, I, I don't want to give anything away because actually, but maybe if I do, maybe people will come and share some more experiences with me. So fuck it. I'm going to throw it out there because if anybody has any experiences with these and you're from Kentucky, please share them with me. But pretty much what I'm connecting is Everybody's familiar with Hellier and kind of like the view that they took on all of that. But again, coming from my viewpoint on stuff with the whole Native American lore, I think it's a different different mixture of that. So what I'm kind of connecting is, if anybody's familiar with the Moon-Eyed people, um, the best way to describe it is that I, without again giving too much away, if anybody has any goblin stories, Kentucky goblins, cave-dwelling beings, high weirdness going on over there, missing people, uh, weird anomalies, anything from Southern Kentucky, please come my way, share it with me. Cause it may correlate into all this information that I'm compiling and putting together. Um, but my view on it is that I kind of, again, without giving too much away, um, I think that there's a Stargate location in the middle of Kentucky. And the more that I keep digging into all of these different weird phenomenon happening, it triangulates around this weird magnetic anomaly area. So what I'm starting to connect is that I think that there's a, a portal in this specific area and that a lot of what these uh, beings are that people see, all these like weird cave dwelling beings, um, the boogeymen, for example, uh, possibly even the Hopskinville uh, goblins are actually the moon-eyed people that were forced to go underground because there was this big push battle um, with the Cherokee and the moon-eyed people where essentially they pushed them out of the area and they supposedly uh, went underground because they were underground beings to begin with because the reason they're called the moon-eyed people was because they were nocturnal. Like, they couldn't see during the day. They'd be blinded, uh, so they could only see at night. So they called them moon-eyed because they can only see when the moon's out. But even with that, though, um, if there was a full moon, then they wouldn't be able to see because it was too bright. So supposedly, according to the lore, the Cherokee took advantage of the fact that they basically would be out and not expect an attack during the night from the Cherokee. And they purposely picked a day when there was the, the full moon and they attacked them and pushed basically these beings underground. They just disappeared. Nobody knows where the hell they went. And I think that they actually moved into the mammoth caves and they're actually the moon eyed people are what all of these, what everybody's seeing as far as like goblins and all these weird things underground. But again, I'm connecting all this weird stuff with even missing 411 cases in specific areas that are very close to this anomaly spot that I've been talking about. So again, if it's a portal, it would completely makes sense why these people are completely missing without any scrap of them. Uh, Cause particularly pretty close to this area, there's six missing people and nothing was found besides possibly two skulls that they don't even know are actually necessarily related to this. But 
yeah, it's it's going to be a whole series that I'm putting together. Um, there's probably going to be a lot more that gets involved as I go in, and uh, we can also just throw it out there. I think that the Kentucky uh, meat shower, if anybody's familiar with that, also correlates with this portal idea. But, um, yeah, if anybody has any weird phenomenon happening in Kentucky, um, you, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even necessarily have to pertain to this, to goblins necessarily, but if there's anything weird happening in southern Kentucky, uh, please share it with me because it may correlate with a lot of this weird research I'm doing that I purposely wasn't trying to give too much of it away, but give you a basic premise to... If anybody wants to come and check it out, that will be something that I'm coming on to the Bizarre Encounters feed, hopefully within the next uh, month or two. But <laughs> Awesome. Well, you guys heard it here first. If you guys want to reach out to Shane Jones, uh, Open Minds Media, Inquiries, uh, Inquiries of Our Reality, Bizarre Encounters, uh, all the links will be in the description if you got some weird Kentucky stuff, especially related to caves and goblins and things like that. I'm super excited for that series, dude. And I know we talked a little bit more off air um, about it, so I'm pretty pretty stoked to see what you do with that. Um, really quickly, just some shout outs. Uh, next week, we're going to be having on Vicki Joy Anderson to talk about sleep paralysis. And if you want to get kind of a sneak pre- preview of what that will be like, uh, Shane actually in- interviewed her on his show a couple, what, a couple weeks ago, I think, or the episode dropped yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it should be probably like four or five episodes back if anybody wants to go look yeah, for it. Yeah, it was very, very, very good episode. And then tomorrow night, I'm having Daryl, uh, also known as Unifier.tv on to talk about like I said, all the crazy conspiracy stuff happening in the news. So if you guys want to get the full podcast, you want to get the unhinged stuff, come over to conspiracypill.locals.com or you can go to rockfin, R-O-K-F-I-N.com slash conspiracypill to see our live streamed uh, live streamed unhinged episodes. Plus, it's a subscription that gives you tons of other subscriptions. It's basically Netflix for conspiracy theories. Uh, so I love, I love uh, Rockfin. Anyway, we're going to head over to Rumble and talk to Shane there for just a little bit longer. And if you guys, like I said, if you're listeners and you want to listen to that part as well, if you're an audio-only listener, that's on on uh, Locals as well, uh, completely free. You don't even have to be a subscriber to listen to that. So until tomorrow night, have a great one, guys. God bless. God bless.